In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. I'm going to attempt to do something that is probably foolhardy. I want to try and throw some light on what we understand to be the Trinity, because it's Trinity Sunday today. It involves talk about God and the three-in-one formula developed by the early church fathers, both of which are profound, and both of which probably defy definition. Furthermore, the discussion covers a long period of history, from, early, from the early pages of, of the Old Testament to centuries immediately after Jesus' time. It's okay. If it all gets too much for you, just have a short nap. <laughs> so let's start with the notion of God. Okay, what is God? Can we actually conceive what God is? At one level, God is the source, the first cause, the essence of life, the beginning, the creator, God is love. God is the positive life force of the universe. Jean gave a very interesting sermon last Sunday at our Pentecost ecumenical service with St. Mary's of the Angels and St. John's. She spoke about God being breath, the first breath. Perhaps it helps to think about God reflecting certain values and doing things. God loves. God protects. God calls. Love speaks of the highest altruistic values we can put into words. That means God's character is the most caring, the most responsive, and the most giving. Protection, when speaking of God, refers to the light that darkness can never overcome. No matter how bad it gets, God will sustain us and take us out the other side. God calls, meaning that, that the Holy One wants us in the team. And even though he relates to so much more than we can understand, we, that is the collective we, uh, the, the collectives we are part of, and our lives as individuals, are always invited to participate. Participating means being involved with that positive life force we call God, and recognising it in our communities. Now it may interest uh, you and surprise perhaps some of you to know that much of the periods written about the Old Testament, Israel was polytheistic. They believed in many gods. They only believed in one god for themselves, but they recognised the gods of other peoples. Their god was Yahweh. But God was so sacred, so holy, so tapu, that they couldn't use the name. Instead, they used metaphors to refer to him. With all ancient people, as there is today, there was always a risk <coughs> that another clan group or people would attack you and rob you of your land and your possessions. Whenever Israel went to war, it was Yahweh, the name they had for God, who fought the gods of the enemies. That's the way they conceived it. The gods would be the gods of the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, to name a few. If Israel won, God had protected them. 
If they lost, God was seen to be punishing them for losing their values of looking after each other, caring for the poor, sharing the resources, and being socially just. So, when Judah was defeated in battle by a really large power, the Babylonians, in the late 6th century BCE, and many people were taken into exile in what today would be partly in Iraq and partly in Syria, they had a very serious problem. Yahweh had been defeated by the Babylonian gods, and they no longer lived in the in the land that Yahweh was sovereign over. Did this mean Yahweh could no longer be their God? This was the big theological question. They thought and they prayed throughout their time in exile. And they felt Yahweh was still with them in some form. And that is when Jewish religion became monotheistic. They decided or realized that Yahweh was God over all gods and all nations and all people. Yahweh would continue to love them, continue to protect them, even though they were away from their own land. And they could always call upon him he would deliver them back every time. Until you get the famous saying in Psalm 137 by the rulers of Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Some of you will remember Boney M making a fantastic hit song by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down. Yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. They then understood that God was actually or had become God of all the nations and would lead them back to their own land. That of course happened and they returned from across the desert, as Deuterosiah had poetically prophesied, on a straight highway. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. Handel is even better than Boney M at setting scripture to music. They rebuilt the Temple of Solomon, that had been destroyed and gathered their life together. However, they believed they were sent into exile as a punishment for not fulfilling their part of the covenant with Yahweh. Prior to the exile, they had lost their humility and had become selfish as the prophets kept reminding them. So to ensure they never went into exile again, they developed extremely strict laws so that none offended. These laws were created out of fear, and they continued into Jesus' time. And it was that legalism that Jesus challenged constantly throughout his ministry. The prophets, meanwhile, had spoken about really important matters. They referred to an anointed one who would come. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And they referred to a time when the law would no longer be written on tablets of stones, but a new spirit would come, 
and express itself in the flesh of human hearts. As Ezekiel put it, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Judaism and Islam see it differently, and that is their right, which we respect. But for Christians, Jesus was the Anointed One, whom we can call Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He was anointed by the Spirit, and he spoke of the Spirit that was to come. He broke down the legalism and the fear, bringing God closer to people. He taught justice as the prophets had before him, and he showed that God is love. He had an acute sense of social justice and the misery so many people lived in. He responded to the sick and the oppressed and challenged the religious leaders to live a life of love rather than continually police the law. He was like a letter from God. He lived the life of God in human form so that we could understand its essence. God was no longer the warrior God of history, nor the demanding legalistic God after the exile. It was an amazing juncture of history that fulfilled what the prophets had said, a prince of peace with a new heart and a new spirit. In this somewhat simplified sweep of history, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, settled among us, we can lean into her as she leans into us. Her name is Ruach in Hebrew, which means spirit or breath, as Jean explained in the ecumenical service. Ruach is female in Hebrew. It became pneuma in Greek, which is where we get the word pneumatic, like pneumatic tires, referring to air or breath. The gender of this word in Greek is neuter. When translated into Latin, the most common Bible in the history of Western Christendom, it became spiritus, spiritus sanctus. The gender is masculine. We lost the feminine of the Godhead through translations. We should recover that. As Ezekiel said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. This is the Spirit that abides in us and with us. Referring to the Spirit, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. The Spirit is often referred to as the Comforter. So here we have these three expressions of God, which we know as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But there is no clear doctrine of the Trinity in the Scriptures. There are odd passages that refer to all three, but not in a three-in-one formula as a Trinity. That came later. As the followers of the way slowly emerged out of organised Judaism and became an organised religious movement in their own right, they had to address many questions. And these included, firstly, in the Greek and Roman worlds, to be credible, they needed a history with roots in, in antiquity. So they drew on their Jewish heritage, 
which took them all the way back to the acts of God and creation. Secondly, they understood Jesus, who was raised from the dead, to be God. They believed he was God and experienced him as such, but they struggled to explain it because it was sort of so recent. And thirdly, it was the spirit they abided in, the one they leaned into with their lives that transformed their hearts and energised their mission. But they needed a seamless connection of the Spirit to the Father and the Son. And they didn't know how to do that. There was a lot of debate in those centuries uh, after Jesus' death. And to put it mildly, there was such a lot of debate about particular parts of each of these expressions of God like where they began and stopped, which were the most important, Father, Son or Holy Spirit, and what were the differences. I can't go into the finer points of the debates of those who were deemed saints and their opponents who were deemed heretics because of time. But the fathers of the Church settled on a view that each Father, Son and Holy Spirit are God, were God before creation, and will be God forever. It was an extraordinarily important historic unifier of the Church that has lasted for millennia. It has shaped our creeds and much of our understanding to the mystery of faith. It brings God close as it also acknowledges vast reach. It enables us to recognise God in the life of Jesus and both in the cosmos of all space and time. <clears throat> it assures us that the vast source of all, the first cause, the essence of love, connects with us as spirit, the comforter. Now all of this is a mystery, a great and vast mystery, because of the limitations of what we can conceive as human beings. But it is a beautiful mystery that has sustained faith and hope, inspired art and music, and transformed people from self-interest to supreme acts of love. That is why some of us cross ourselves in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Or, as we sometimes put it, Creator, Redeemer, and giver of life. Amen.